Now, one of the most important questions people have in life is how long? I mean, when you're little kids and you're riding in the back seat of your car and your mom and dad are driving down the road, and you'll say, how long is it going to be before we get there? How long? When people are sick or suffering, when they're feeling pain, they'll ask often, how long is it going to be before I get free from this? That question, how long, how far away? These are questions people ask. How long will it be before my heartache gets better? There are millions of people being persecuted around the world. Christians who are in prison, who are beaten, who are arrested for their faith, they want to know how long is this going to continue before I'm free. The disciples asked that question. They had been with Jesus for three years. They had saw him do, they had seen him do the impossible. They had watched as He died for our sins on the cross. They had been personal witnesses of His glorious resurrection. Before His death, in our study of Matthew 24, they asked Jesus, the Lord, this question, how long will it be before you come back to earth and establish your kingdom? How long will it be before you set up your kingdom on earth? And after His resurrection when they witnessed the greatest miracle that Jesus had performed when He raised His own body back to life, they asked Him again, Lord, how long will it be? How long will it be before You establish Your kingdom? Luke recorded in Acts chapter 1, Therefore when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I must confess, I have the same question. When I look at the world around me and I see the mess we're in, I ask myself, Lord, how long is it going to be before you bring your kingdom to this earth and take over and fix this mess? And his answer to me is the same as it was to those disciples and the same as it is to you. Donnie, you, don't you worry about how long it will be. Just know that I am coming. And in the meantime, your job is to be a witness of my resurrection power. Folks, our world is in the worst shape spiritually I've ever seen it. And while we wait, eagerly wait for our Lord to return with His kingdom, it is important that we be those faithful witnesses that we do everything we can to reveal our Savior to this world which so desperately needs Him because that's all we can do. All we can do is tell the world about Jesus and hope that they receive Him. We can sow those kingdom seeds wherever we go so that some will allow that seed to be planted in their heart by the Holy Spirit and it will grow to eternal life. And all we can do is sow those kingdom seeds so they will grow. Because you see, all that, this, all that we see around us, all the systems of man that have risen and are rising around us, it all has to come down when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, everything that man has built is going to collapse. And He's going to raise up His kingdom on this earth. He is going to reveal Himself and His great power. 
in a way this world really needs to see. And that's what I look forward to. That's why I say, how long, Lord, will it be? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 24. And we're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel and also the book of the Revelation. Let me just go ahead and say, Matthew 24. These are the signs that are going to happen in the world before Jesus returns. This is kind of a synopsis, a summary. And then the Revelation is the great detail of it all. So Matthew 24, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word for just a moment. We're only going to read these five verses, and then we'll, deal, we'll begin. This is part one. We're going to be dealing with kingdom revelation. And let me just go ahead and give you a, a, a look at the future. So after we look at the signs of Christ's coming and His great coming, then we're going to look at kingdom life and what it's going to be, be like to live in the kingdom of God. So Matthew 24, kingdom revelation. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that will not be thrown down. And as He said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came, came to Him privately, saying, Well, tell us, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and, answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray today your Holy Spirit will help each one of us get ready, because you're coming. You are coming again. And when you come, it won't be like the last time. When you come, you'll be be coming as king crowned with many crowns. King of kings and Lord of lords, written all over you. Lord, you are going to come and conquer and destroy every piece of wickedness on this earth. And Lord, I say, please come. Please come. And Lord, while I'm here, while we're here, help us be diligent to tell others about the Savior who loves them and wants to save save them before it's too late. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Pray so grow kingdom revelation. Now when we talk about the return of Jesus, we're talking about His revelation, the revelation of Himself to the world. Think about it this way. When Jesus walked on the earth with His disciples, He revealed Himself to thousands of people. When uh, those who followed Him wanted Him to be the conquering King, Destroying the Romans, restoring the kingdom to Israel. But Jesus did not reveal himself in that way. He did not come to destroy, but to save. After his resurrection, Jesus revealed himself to most of his faithful followers, probably less than a thousand people, maybe in the hundreds. Once again, his followers hoped the risen Christ would reveal himself as the conquering king, destroying the Romans, restoring the kingdom to Israel. The disciples said, Lord, will you at this time? Restore Israel. But Jesus rose from the dead, not to take life, but to give eternal life. From the time Jesus left this earth and ascended into heaven, until He comes again, He offers eternal life to all who will repent of their sins and receive Him as Savior and Lord. However, this offer of salvation and eternal life is not going to last forever. The next time He comes, Jesus will not be the suffering Savior. He will be the conquering King of kings. He will not come with mercy, but with vengeance. And that's what we see in the book of the Revelation and throughout the Scriptures. The Old Testament and New Testament, which speak of the day 
of the Lord. Notice with me some verses. Isaiah said, Well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Zephaniah the prophet said, The great day of the Lord, it is near, it is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There, there the mighty men shall cry out. I will bring distress upon men, and they will walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And then John said in the Revelation, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges, and he does what? Makes war. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This is the Messiah which the disciples had wanted to see when he came the first time. But the first time he came, it was to save, not to destroy. The next time he comes, it will be to judge and replace this evil world with his kingdom of righteousness. For the kingdom of righteousness to rise, the, the kingdoms of men must fall. And that's what the book of the Revelation is about. That's what Matthew 24 is about. When the kingdom of Jesus Christ comes, then when it rises on the earth, the systems of man must fall. This is the kingdom for which the followers of Christ for 2,000 years have longed for. And while we don't know when He will return, we know we are closer than we have ever been. And personally, I think it won't be much longer. I expect Jesus to come in my lifetime, especially when I look at the signs. So as we begin looking at the signs of Christ's return, again, we'll look in Matthew 24. We'll also look in the Revelation. Now notice with me, first of all, the first sign Jesus mentions here is the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. Jerusalem... It's one of the oldest cities on earth. Archaeologists think that its first settlements were in 3500 B.C. 3500 years before the birth of Jesus. At the time of Abraham, it was called Salem. Shalom. Shalom means what? Peace. There was a king of Salem. Melchizedek was his name. To whom Abram offered homage. We see it in Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and, he, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave, and Abram gave him a tithe of all. Now, the first time we see the name Jerusalem in the Bible, not Salem, but Jerusalem, is in the first chapter of Judges, centuries after Abraham. Judges 1, but the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. 
Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, place, Yeru, place, Shalom, peace, place of peace, city of peace. In about 1000 BC, King David conquered Jerusalem and made it his capital. And then he brought in the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the, the presence of God into, his, into the capital city. And his son, then Solomon, built the first temple there. That temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and then rebuilt and renovated by King Herod the Great just before the birth of Jesus. It was Herod's temple that stood in Jerusalem when Jesus walked the earth. It was Herod's temple, a massive structure with huge colonnades, with courtyards that Jesus visited and in which he spoke in, of which he spoke in Matthew 24. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. They were amazed. Master, look at all of this. Isn't this amazing? Huge. One of the most beautiful places in the world. Huge. Massive. With that great sanctuary sitting on top of the temple mount. And isn't this amazing? And Jesus said to them, Do you, not, do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that will not be thrown down. The first sign of the coming kingdom of Christ was the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. That sign would be fulfilled before the end of the first century. A few decades after the resurrection of Jesus, Jewish rebellion rose to new levels in Judea. By 70 A.D., remember we think Jesus died around 30 A.D. in there? By 70 A.D., bands of zealots and other Jewish, religious, Jewish rebel groups traveled the countryside and began to attack the Roman garrisons and even other Jews that they accused of sympathizing with the Romans. The Romans reacted with brutality, indiscriminately killing men, women, and children. Well, fleeing the Romans, hundreds of Jews throughout the land made their way to Jerusalem, where the zealots had driven out the Roman garrison that had been in the city when Jesus was crucified. In April of 70 AD, the Roman emperor's son, Titus, who himself would later become Caesar, led the Roman army to besiege the city of Jerusalem with over 100,000 people trapped inside. Over the next four months, with anarchy and fear within Jerusalem's city walls, the starving Jews began fighting one another and even burning one another's supplies. Outside Jerusalem, the Roman soldiers crucified any man, woman, or child caught fleeing the city. In fact, it said so many crosses were made to crucify those people that were fleeing Jerusalem that the woods in the surrounding area were almost completely deforested. After the four-month siege, the Romans stormed Jerusalem, killing everyone who was left inside, completely destroying the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who was present in Jerusalem when the city was captured and burned, described the devastation in this way. The countryside... Like the city was a pitiful sight, for there was once 
For where once there had been a lovely vista of woods and parks, there was nothing but desert and stumps of trees. Every trace of beauty had been blotted out by war, and nobody who had known it in the past and came upon it suddenly would have recognized the place. When he was already there, he would still have been looking for the city. It was gone. One of the Roman soldiers set fire to the temple, to the seed of Jewish religion. And as the fire raged throughout the sanctuary of the temple, quantities of silver and gold, which had been placed in the sanctuary for safekeeping, melted and ran down between the stones. Roman soldiers tore apart the stones to retrieve the gold and silver, literally, literally leaving, as Jesus predicted, not one stone left upon another. Josephus wrote, As the flame shot into the air, the Jews sent up a cry that matched the calamity and dashed to the rescue, talking about the temple burning, with no thought now of saving their lives or husbanding their strength, for that which they had guarded so devotedly was disappearing before their eyes. It was said that so many were slain on the temple mount that the stairs to the temple flowed with blood. Jesus said to his disciples, Do you see all these big buildings that men have built? They will all come crashing down. And they did. The capital of Jewish religion, which, had one, which at one time had been the holiest place on earth, you know, with the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. It had become a city which rejected and crucified the Messiah, the only Savior of the world. And that's why it had to come down. Friends, when our Lord returns, every speck of man's faith in Himself will come down. Every system of man will come down as King Jesus brings His kingdom to this earth. When Jesus cleansed the temple, remember He rode the donkey in on Palm Sunday? And He went in and cleansed the temple. He said to the religious people of that that were running the temple. Remember, they were running the temple. And he said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of thieves. The faith of Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah had disappeared. The temple had become just a man-made religious structure, and it had to come down, you see. So, as you look at the study of the signs of Jesus' return, look at it this way. These are signs of man rising that will one day come down. Everything you see, as Jesus talks about the signs of His coming, all this destruction, it's going to get a whole lot worse, folks, before it gets better. And as we see the evil rising and the systems of man rising in the Scriptures, in the Revelation, other places, as you see it rising, remember it's got to rise to its worst so that Jesus can come and it all come crashing down. And it will. And part of what will come crashing down is the religious system of man. Now, religion is defined in several ways. It is the belief in and worship of a superhuman power, such as God. Or gods. 
But it is also, religion is also defined as the, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. I want you to think about that for a minute. It is religion today is a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Now, it used to be that when you spoke of religion, it meant a system of worshiping God. Today, that definitions change. It's anything to which we ascribe supreme importance. So, before the revelation of Christ's kingdom, all these man-made religious systems have to fall. When the religion of man stands opposite to the opposite, the truth of God then man's religion will fall. It has to fall. Now, there are many religions. Do you know how many religions there are in the world? There's over 4,000 different religions today. Just before Jesus returns, it's going to narrow down to really to one. One, it's going to all come together to one religion one religion, and at the center of that religion is the man we're going to call the Antichrist. He is a false Christ. He is claiming to be a savior now. We say Antichrist, against Christ, because he is claiming to be Christ. He's claiming to be a false Christ. And his religion is the religion that he is going to demand the world follow. Now, in the Revelation, John wrote of a false prophet, a religious leader who would point people through religion, point people to this supreme leader who would, this false prophet, would deceive the world and lead the world to worship the Antichrist. He's called a beast in Revelation because a beast, an animal, beast is animal. An animal, he rises from the sea of humanity. And so he's from, he's a man. But he rises to power, and, he ri- and with him comes a religious system. Now, if you want to look some and do a little Revelation look, let's look for me at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, verses 11 and 12. I'll have these verses on the screen also. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, out of humanity. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a, dry, uh, a dragon. Remember... John's seeing a a vision of an animal with horns, but it is symbolic of a man, a leader, a world leader, a a false savior. All right, so, but he saw another beast coming up out of the earth, another beast. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. The first beast is is, uh, the Antichrist. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, this, is the, this beast is not the first beast. It's not the beast. It is another beast. So it is a supporter. It is a leader that calls the world, calls, calls the world to worship this false Christ, this antichrist. We'll call him a false prophet. We've heard that term before. He's the false prophet. Or he's a false, he's the false prophet for a false savior. This man has lamb-like qualities. He will be humble, in other words. Yet he will speak like a dragon, like the dragon, like Satan. 
He will deceive the world into following the Antichrist with his words and his supposed miracles. Look at Revelation 13, verses 14 through 17. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that is, the image, uh, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. We don't know what that image is. We don't know if it's a clone. We don't know if it's artificial intelligence, a hologram. We don't know. A statue, we just don't know. We don't know what this image of the beast is, but it's the image of the Antichrist. And the false prophet, maybe it's, maybe it's the image on the screen of churches all over the world that are meeting on Saturday or Sunday or whatever day of the week, and they are worshiping. And who are they worshiping? A false Christ. And He's appearing because He appears on the screens so that people worship Him. And He has a word for the world. Is it possible that all over the world there could be an image that everybody could see? It certainly is. Through satellite, internet. And He causes all to worship the image of the beast. And if they did not worship, as many as would not worship the image of the beast, to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has that mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And of course it says, here's the number, 666. Okay? Now that's the power of a man-made religion. Think with me a moment here. This is the power that can, of a man, of a religion that is created by and empowered by Satan. Friends, any doctrine or ideology which draws people to itself and away from God is a false religion. And folks, there's a growing desire for false religion today. And there is a growing tendency and sympathy and even desire for systems like Marxism or systems like communism, even especially among young people in America today. Marxism, back if you're as old as I am, you remember a day when that communism scared you. And you knew how evil it was. But that, you know, it's been a long time since the Cold War, hasn't it? And people don't, are not taught the dangers of it. But Marxism, as it is accompanied by communism, is by the new definition a religion. It is a false religion. It is. It, it's God in communism. It's God is the state or the government. Mar Karl Marx, who wrote the Communist Manifesto, believed that the state, the government, had to reconcile differences between classes of people. He didn't like inequality, you see. He wanted everybody the same. He, he said you cannot have a rich class of people and a poor class of people. The state has to come in and redistribute the wealth. In what he called his utopian society, there is no private ownership of property. It all belongs to the state or the government. Now, I want to tell you something. 
the state or the government is not just an idea. It's not just an, an invisible force somewhere. It's not. That's not what the state or the government is. The government or state is people in charge. That's what it is. It's people in charge. It is leaders in charge of people. It's people who make decisions, who take what you have and give to someone else. That's what happens in a communist state. It is leaders who decide where you can work, where you can travel, what you can say. So this system becomes a religion, and the leaders of this system become gods. Now there is no room for any worship of the one true God, and thus communism is a dangerous and false religion. Cancel culture. You've heard that term. Cancel culture is a religion. It's a belief that will not allow opposing views. It cancels any idea that is not the prevailing view of the culture. Folks, culture changes. And cancel culture means it is a culture that will not allow you to disagree with it. The more we move, it cancels your opposition. The more we move away from faith in God to faith in ourselves or in our culture or in our government, the more we lay the foundation for the one false religion of the Antichrist. Listen, folks, all around the world, all around our country, churches are dying, closing their doors. I just heard of one the other day. It blew my mind. Church, local church, closing down. Couldn't, couldn't pay its bills. Having to, having to go and close down. Maybe the people are going to merge with somebody else. I don't know. Listen to me, folks. What has happened here? I'll tell you what's happened. We're getting ready. We're getting ready for that one world religious system. And who's at the head? The false Christ, the Antichrist. And that's what happens when faith in God disappears in America. That's what happens, you say. Churches shut down. Churches become empty. They become obsolete. They become irrelevant in the eyes of a culture. Our culture sees no need for religion, no need for God. No need for God. They don't mind religion as long as it's having to do with the religion of the culture. Folks, I want to tell you something. You may not believe this, but I could see it a scenario. Let me give you a little scenario. What we saw in Revelation 13 is a global religion. It's a man-made religion, not a God-based religion. What if there were some cause, whether real or perceived, that brought everybody in the world together around that cause? And what if that cause became so ingrained in culture that it was treated with religious zeal. And what, if, and what if that cause or new religion had a big influence, a major influence, over the world's economy so that the global economy began not to be measured in euros and yen and dollars, but in a new global market with digital credits. So, thus the only 
way a nation or a person could carry on commerce in the global market was through a global system, economic system, based upon a new religion. Now friends, let me tell you something. We've never heard the word global like we hear it today, have we? Never heard it. But the closer we come to a global system of anything, whether it's a global digital currency system like a Bitcom or something, or global pandemics or, and cures or, like, you know, or global warming, or uh, as people leave God and embrace global causes, we move toward a global religion, the religion of the Antichrist. I'm not talking, there's nothing wrong with people working together for good things. There's nothing wrong with that at all. What I'm wanting you to understand is that when our Lord Jesus comes to this world, then these causes are going to become corrupt and led by a, the most corrupt individual who's ever lived. He'll make Hitler look like a saint. He will be the most evil person that's ever lived. He will be in charge. But that's why the weakening of, a, of America's faith alarms me. For centuries, America's been the beacon for religious freedom. We were founded by men and women who left everything for the purpose of worshiping God the way they chose. They didn't want a king or a government exercising power over their personal or corporate worship of God. So our founding fathers built into our documents protections from tyrannical leaders who would try to inhibit our free exercise of faith. Our First Amendment to the Constitution mandates. Read the First Amendment with me. Let's pull it up. Ready? Pull up my First Amendment. Here we go. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Democracy, our republic form of government, is not like communism. We choose who leads us and how long they lead us. We have elections. Everyone's vote counts. One vote. That's the equalizer. The American dream is that we work hard and we can achieve success and property and wealth and travel and speak freely and worship freely. And that's why so many people want to come to America. We're not perfect, but I still believe America is the greatest nation on the earth. You believe that? Amen. I do. Our freedom will not work for the global religious system of the Antichrist. So America either must abandon her faith or America must disappear before his religion is forced on the world. And that's why the Jerusalem temple had to fall. Because when Jesus returns, he will destroy all the religions of man. There will be one religion. He will destroy the religion of the Antichrist and he will... His will, the Antichrist will fall and Jesus' kingdom will rise and rule over everything. That's why He's coming back and strike the nations. That's why He's coming back and destroy evil. Because that's what's going to take 
for his kingdom to rule and reign. And he rule and reigns king of kings and lord of lords. All governments will close. All wars will end. There will not be religions or denominations. There's going to be one church, the church, the bride of Christ and nothing else. That's why all the man-made religions, all the man-made structures, even the Jerusalem temple had to fall. The Spirit of God had left that temple like the Spirit of God has left a lot of man's religion today. You cannot align yourself with God and align yourself with the world in this godless culture. You can't. That's what a lot of people are doing today. They're trying to stand for evil, the evil devices of the world and still claim to be Christian. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Judas tried to align himself with Jesus and the world. And look how that turned out. Jesus is dead and so will everything that does not come under complete submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first event that was fulfilled, the first sign of Christ's coming, was the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. The beginning of the end of man's religious systems. And along with the false religions which rise are the deceitful messages which draw men away from God. And boy, there's a lot of deceitful messages today. And that's the second and final thing I want to look at today is the second sign of His return is the rise of false messiahs. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now, as Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us when will, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, He had already given them one sign. <laughs> the temple's coming down. But then He said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, False religions rise because they are led by self-professing saviors who speak lies. There's a lot of deception going on today. There's a lot of corrupt world leaders who are leading people away from God and what is right and leading people away from what is right. And not just world leaders, but cultural leaders. They're leading people away from God and what is right to follow them down a wrong path. There's a lot of people who have made themselves like a god to others whose fame, fortune, and position have elevated them above others to the place where gullible people will follow them even when the, what they say is not true. We're certainly living in an age when our education system is leading children down a confusing and godless path. Many of our universities and schools of higher learning are led by people who preach wicked ideals and will not allow the truth of a holy God to be discussed. When the rise of deception, with the rise of deception comes a rise of false saviors, and as a rule, most people want to follow, not lead. The more truth is distorted in our day, the more gullible people become. We're in a gullible day, folks. It's almost unbelievable to me how, most, how the most evil of people can draw people around them, draw supporters. What a mixed-up world we're in. I've called this period in our history the dumbing down of America because there's such a lack of common sense and an absence of moral thinking. Just look at the vicious protests that are burning cities and harming people. Over in the West Coast, they're setting up America-free zones in a city. Are you kidding me? From some of the scenes we see in the media, some of the people who are following false prophets act like out-of-control animals. The deceivers who lie get a lot of publicity. They are on the news outlets. They confuse people. They're vulnerable people. They confuse vulnerable people, elderly people, young people. They hate Christians. When we stand for protecting our children or for what is morally right in the sight of God, we're called homophobes or threats to democracy. Paul told his young friend Timothy about how in the days just prior to the return of Jesus, 
People would turn away from the truth and surround themselves with people who teach lies. Notice what he said. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I charge you therefore, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word, be, that's the Word of God, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear God's holy word. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn, be turned aside to fables or lies. How could people be so deceived, so ignorant, that they would support and follow a person who is clearly the enemy of Christ, pretending to be a Savior, but he's a false one? It's because people today do not know the truth of God's Word. We're in an information age, but we've never been so ignorant of the Bible. Even when people are interested in spiritual truth, they're turning to the wrong places to find truth. They turn to social media pages or certain podcasts or or YouTube to popular teachers. They don't find the truth. They, They find the truth they want to hear. As Paul said, they choose to follow false teachers who teach lies rather than turn to the Bible and find the truth of God. The the Word of God, Amos, the prophet said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They will wander from sea to sea and north to east, and they shall run to and fro, seeking the word from the Lord, but they will not find it. They will run here and there from sea to sea. They will surf the internet. They will glue themselves to the TV, talk shows, and phony news channels, and they will believe a lie. Why? Because they do not know God nor His Word. Friends, you cannot know God unless you know His Word. To know what pleases God, you have to hear what God has said. The Lord's not a secret God. The Lord is near all who seek Him. When we seek His wisdom, He gives it. But He mainly gives it through this Word. How could America have become such a post-Christian nation? Because 50 years ago, we decided that this book was dangerous for children. So we removed it from public school classrooms. We believed that God and His Word was dangerous to society. So we removed the Ten Commandments from public buildings. And, and verses from Bible verses from public buildings. And we found that the truth of God and His Word is dangerous to our culture. So we stopped going to church and we stopped talking about Jesus. Worried that we might get in trouble for pushing what we believe on others. Friends, each and every day we have people pushing what they believe on us. Whether a product they want us to buy an ideology they want us to support, and they do it loudly and publicly, and what we need to give them is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, the truth of God, because if Christians don't teach the truth, this gullible world will not get it. Jesus is that truth. He said to to His disciples, read this next verses to me, John 14, 6. Read this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who is the truth? Who? Next verse, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you what? Free. This world is bound because it does not have this. It needs it. There's a lot of truth that can change lives, but there's only one truth 
can change our lives and our eternity. And that's the truth that's found in Jesus. There's only one word that can change the lives of your children. There's only one word that can change the eternal destiny of your children. And that's this word right here. The words Jesus spoke are good words. They are always dependable. We can believe what Jesus said because He is God and He will never lie. His words are good for those who follow Him as well as those who don't follow Him. Folks, to love one another, to look out for the good of others, to forgive one another and show mercy to others, to stand for what's true and good, to keep yourself from evil, to pray every day, to trust God for needs, to seek first the kingdom of God. This is good stuff for everyone. It brings peace to an individual. It can bring peace to a city or a nation. But we absolutely must know and keep God's Word to experience His blessings. And we need His blessings. So we have to be careful who we follow. You cannot believe everything you hear on the internet. You cannot believe everything you hear on the news. You cannot believe everything you hear from politicians. And you cannot hear, believe everything you hear for, even from an online preacher or an organized church. But you can always believe what God said in His Word. And He has promised, I'm coming again. Hallelujah, I'm coming again. And the next time I come, I'm bringing my kingdom and we're taking over. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Amen. So what should we do as we see the signs of His return? Well, remember this kingdom principle. Pull that up for me. Let's read it together. As we see the signs of Christ coming, we should be diligent to reveal the truth of God's Word through the kingdom seeds we sow. If we really believe Jesus is coming again, then we need to make every day count for Him. We need to realize the closer we come to His return, the less time there is for people to know and repent and forget, receive His forgiveness and eternal life. When He comes again, they won't have that, time, it won't, they won't have that opportunity. It'll be too late. And we can't let others know and convince others with any kind of certainty unless the Word of God, the truth of God is making a difference in our lives. Peter said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, I know that you've heard that Jesus is coming for years. I have too, and He hasn't returned yet. But we should live our lives as, th- as if this is the last day we will have on this earth. We should live with expectancy, knowing what, that what we say and do today, we may never have an opportunity to do, say or do tomorrow. So pay attention to what's happening around you. Pay attention to what people say and do. Pay attention to your spiritual life, to your church. Pay attention to your family. Make sure you go to a church where the truth is told. Listen, the truth of God's Word is the most important thing. Some people have greater celebrations, but you need to go where you get the meat, the truth of God's Word. That's important for you, for your family. Make sure you follow someone who is teaching the true Word of God. Not some cultural fad or norm. Stand on the truth. Stand on the Christ who died and rose from the dead and is coming again. Folks, he's our, He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our foundation. Read the Word every day and let Christ Jesus speak to you and reveal Himself through His Word to you. And one day, listen, one day He's coming again. But today... He is speaking through His Word. Will you listen to what He is saying to you?
And will you sow His truth to the people in your world who need the truth? There was a logging community. It's such a good story. There was a logging community who felt the need of divine worship. So they built a church. This was in the past here in America. They built the church and called a young preacher to come down and preach to the loggers. He was alarmed to discover dishonesty among the loggers. You see, people there and those upstream would float their logs in the river down to the mill. Well, each logger would take a metal die and stamp his name or symbol onto the end of a log to get paid for that. Well, some were catching, because he identified as, that's my log, I get paid for that. Well, some were catching, going upstream and catching the logs as they flowed downstream, and they'd, take, and they'd cut off the end, and they'd re-stamp them with their own die. It was theft, it was stealing. So the preacher found out about that, young preacher, and he preached the next Sunday against thievery. And the worshipers went out and complimented him. The loggers and all complimented him on his fine sermon. Well, but the loggers continued their wicked thieving ways. They catch the logs and cut them off and put their own stamp on them. So the next Sunday, the young preacher waxed mightily against dishonesty. And he was praised again for his wonderful message. But nothing changed. So the third week, he was explicit. He had had enough. And he said, anyone who cuts the end off someone else's log and stamps it with his own stamp is stealing another man's property. He's violating the commandment of God. <clears throat> and the people of that church got together and fired him. I don't know if that story is true or not, but when I look at our world, I see how it's a picture of a world that is without Christ and does not want the truth. But like that young preacher, we need to keep telling the truth until we can tell it no longer. Amen? Jesus said that as He prepared to return more and more people, even people we know will believe lies over the truth. But we still must tell the truth. That our wonderful Savior died on the cross for our sins, shed His blood and gave it all, and rose from the dead for us to give us eternal life. And He's coming again. And today is the day to receive Him, because tomorrow may be too late. Would you bow with me? So let me ask you, do you really believe Jesus is coming? you believe that He will come again like He said He would? When do you think He's coming? How long is it going to be? When do you think? Tomorrow? Next year in your lifetime? Jesus said we should live as if He were coming today. What does that look like to you? Is the, is the fact that Jesus could return any day making an impact in what you say and do? Are you concerned with the lies that are being told every day? Are you believing those lies? Or are you sowing those kingdom seeds of truth like you might never have another day to do it? 
If Jesus were to come before, before we leave this place, will you be going to heaven with Him? If, if you're not, you need to make sure of that today. If you're not sure you're going to be in His kingdom, you need to make sure. You need to pray. Tomorrow might not, you might not have that opportunity. Tomorrow might not come for you. Pray with me. Mean it with all your heart. Accept Jesus. Say, Jesus, I've heard the truth. I wasn't there at the cross, but I believe it. Something deep within me is yearning to believe, and I believe Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life in your kingdom. Right now, Jesus, I ask you, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for every bit of evil in my life. Anything I've ever done wrong or said wrong. Come into my heart, Jesus. Come into my life and be my Savior forever. I accept you, Jesus, as my only Savior. And I make a commitment and a promise to you today, Jesus. I'm going to follow you till you come again. I'm going to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest prayer you could pray. Put some legs on that faith. and It's a new faith. You need to tell someone. I'll be at the front while we're singing. The cameras will be off. If you want to walk down and say, Pastor Donnie, I accepted Jesus today as my Savior. Or if there's something I can do to encourage you or pray for you, I'll be there for you while we're singing. Or you can tell me going out the door. Whatever I can do to encourage you, I want to do that. But live for Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you that we have hope. Because in the end... It's all going to be different. In the end, you're going to make it all right. You're going to restore what sin and Satan has done to destroy this world. You are going to make your, raise up your kingdom, and we're going to be part of it. Thank you, Jesus, that we have that eternal hope with you. And we love you, Jesus. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for those who accepted you. And I pray, God, that we will be diligent in our faith to let people know the truth today when they're surrounded by lies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing those feet. Stand with us as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow.